Stinging waves, fox spear, lock is action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. He's a bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are August 11th, 2022. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Coast time, which means we are live. You can call 646-82433 and join us on the podcast. We would love to hear from you. And what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about Strange New World Season 1. We were going to talk about that last week, but we decided to uh, pay homage to the late, great Michelle Nichols. So we bumped that show to this week. So if you'd like to share your thoughts on Strange New World, give us a call, 646-668-2433, and we'll get you on the air. But wait, there's more. Um, (laughs) We have a lot more. We have uh, some Star Trek Picard Season 3 news, and Worf gets a new Klingon weapon. Dun, 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 dun. I'm kind of psyched about that. And uh, will we see the Enterprise F or maybe the USS Titan show up? I don't know. You'll have to hang out and find out. We also have our Star Trek birthdays. We have our fan shout-outs and convention, 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 calendar, 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 calendar. So we've got a lot to talk about tonight. I'm also to host Uncle Tim. And before we get started, I'd like to give a introduction to my awesome truck experts and we'll start off with charles charles is out in las vegas how you doing tonight charles i'm doing good it's only about 99 but humidity's up again we're still caught in monsoons and you never know it might rain it might not rain well it's pouring pouring rain here which is why it's so hot and humid and hopefully that rolls out in time for the big conventions, we'll see. Speaking of big conventions, well, we, we have we our like very own rain in the middle of the valley. Well, it's it's weird because it rains and you you go across town and it's bone dry. It's like still the same here. Um, we also like to say hello and welcome to the show to our very own Paul, the Toy Guy. How you doing, <laughs> Paul? My identity is morphing. I love it. I love it, sir. How are you? I'm not too bad. And yourself? I am well. I had a very strange afternoon. (laughs) More talking and more people than I've seen in two and a half years. (laughs) Well, well, it's Friday's Friday's Eve, and we're Trek talking, so what could be better? It's the best, man. Looking forward to it a lot. So it'll be fun. And also hailing from Portland, we have our very own Eric. How are you doing tonight, Eric? 
Oh, man, I am doing good. I'm kind of like Paul. I'm sort of done with my week here. Uh, so I do like having this uh, Trek Talking thing on Friday's Eve. Thank goodness it is Trek Talking Thursday, y'all. It, it is a good day. It, it really is. And, of course, David the Donut Guy is ill and will not be with us tonight. So we don't have our Portland trifecta. We only have the dynamic duo with us. So that's okay. So anyways, guys, if you go to our Facebook page, uh, Truck Talking and Beyond, you have to spell that all out. I tried changing the page, but when I, when I did that, we lost everybody. And so we're just going to leave it the way it is. You can find us. Um, anyways, if you go there, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper right at the top of the page, the first post pinned there. And uh, just drop us a little line and tell us where you're listening from. And every week, yours truly, Uncle Jim, picks 15, 20 lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, um, that means that your name will be given special uh, shout-out on our show. And for that, we're going to turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, uh, tonight we're going to send our very first shout-out out to Manjeet <laughs> Evanson from England. Uh, we always appreciate the support we get from our friends across the pond. And Manjeet, thank you so much for listening to us uh, and for supporting uh, both our Facebook page and for listening to the, to the podcast. We really appreciate it. We're also saying hello this week to top fan Heather Grace from Young in New South Wales, Australia. Good day, y'all, she says. And I say good day to you, Heather. Top fan means that Heather interacts with us a ton on our Facebook page, and we really appreciate fans, especially fans like that, Heather. So thank you so much for, for being so engaging and for supporting the podcast in the ways that you do. We're also saying hello this week to Piela Salonen from Finland. Uh, they say live long and prosper and send us a little Finnish flag. So Piela, thank you so much for supporting us all the way from up in Scandinavia. Esmond Delaney, we would like to say hello to you this week. Uh, Australian in Western Australia. I would have followed, uh, I have followed Star Trek in all its forms since TOS. It cannot, and I cannot do the Vulcan salute, no matter how hard I try. I have friends like you as well, Esmond. To all my family who aren't Trekkies, they can't do it. It's a real pain in my seventh planet. Ha ha ha! And uh, and LOL symbol. So Esmond, uh, you know what? We still accept you as part of the Star Trek family, despite the fact that you cannot live long and prosper easily. <laughs> so thank you for supporting our podcast, Charles. Who would you like to say hello to this week? Okay. Let's start off with Barry J. Helvison from West Tennessee. Jim Good from Pennsylvania. Raymond Scorse from Wollongong, Australia. And Eric Sublam from Florida up near Jacksonville. And Paul, who's on your list? All kinds of folks from all over our magical planet, Charles. You're not even believe it. 
We are covering various hemispheres tonight. We've got folks everywhere. First of all, a huge kapla, and thank you for listening uh, to Rafael Dominguez in glorious Mexico City. Absolutely one of the great cities on the planet. If you've never been there, go. It's phenomenal. Also, uh, thank you so much and felicitations to Alberto Perez in Rincon, Puerto Rico. And Alberto is sharing the live long and prosperous sign right back at you, my friend. Live long and prosper indeed. Uh, As well, flashing a live long and prosperous symbol, we've got on the other side of the planet in Germany, Patrick Schilling is an ardent fan and a supporter of the Facebook page and the show. Thank you so much for listening. And not too far away from Patrick in wonderful Portugal. Oh, Portugal. Andrea Fernandes, a friend of mine, was just visiting Portugal and was torturing me with all of these amazing vacation pictures on Facebook. And Andrea, you live in a stunning, fabulous place. Absolutely gorgeous there. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I'd like to also extend uh, a great, great Trek Talk and hello to Stephen Farrell in Pattaya, Thailand. Thank you so much for listening to us and for reaching out and contacting us. In the beautiful country of Belgium, on Nick is also a Trek Talk and uh, aficionado and uh, wanted to say hello. In Brazil, oh, sweet, magnificent Brazil, Andre Silva is also letting us know that they are keeping the Star Trek enthusiasm alive and well in that fantastic country. And finally for me, in Hungary, a land of incredible history and absolutely amazing, beautifully, beautiful beauty, Zoltan Herega is also reaching out to say hello. Thank all of you for uh, listening to our podcast, for uh, checking out the Facebook page, for sharing your thoughts, and, and mostly proving to us, as happens every week, that Star Trek fandom is a global uniting force, uh, a positive thing that helps unite us all together. So it's a wonderful thing to see. But we're not done yet, because I think we've got even more fans who have wanted to reach out. Uh, Jim, I, am I correct? Do you have more names there on your list? I've got a few more that we want to say thank you to. The first one we want to say is to Gary Yeager from Salina, Kansas. No relation to me whatsoever, though. Uh, Maybe somewhere down the chain there's a connection there. I'm not sure. But uh, kapla to Gary Yeager listening to us in Kansas. We also want to say live long and prosper to top fan Scott James Weston, who's listening to us in Texas, in the U.S. of A. Thank you so much, Scott. And over in Germany, we have Michael Schultz. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And last but not least on my list is Michael Cooper, who's listening to us in Missouri. So that wraps up our fan shout-outs, guys. Like I said, if you'd like to be mentioned on a fan shout-out, please head over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond, and just drop us a little note. Let us know where you're listening from. And look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. So we're going to take our very first commercial break, and this is a very important one. So uh, quick, run to the microwave, get your pizza bites, get your tacos, go to the bathroom, and come right back. Don't touch that dial because we've got a lot more to talk about. Hi there. This is Eric from Trek Talking. Do you own a business, produce a product, or are planning an event that would appeal to Star Trek fans? Would you like to harness the power of this podcast to get your message out to the world? 
We here at Trek Talking are a show made by fans for fans, and we would love to help you share your love of Star Trek on the air, live every Monday and Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern. Contact us through Facebook Messenger at facebook.com slash trektalkingandbeyond, or email us using the contact link on our website at podpage.com slash trek-talking. We can't wait to hear from you. Engage. Don't miss Fandom Fest New York, featuring special guests, vendors, artists, esports, tabletop games, and so much more. Fandom Fest, a unique con experience at Proctor's, August 12th through 14th. Have you always wanted to tour the Enterprise? Would you like to meet Jim and Eric from Trek Talking in a live setting? Then join us August 19th through the 21st in Ticonderoga, New York for Trek Conderoga 2022. Star Trek The Next Generation stars Gates McFadden, John Delancey, and Brent Spiner will be headlining the event. Leading tours of the painstakingly recreated USS Enterprise TOS sets, participating in bridge chats, and much more. Trek Conderoga 2022 is your chance to meet some of your favorite Next Generation actors in a setting with small crowd sizes and easy accessibility to the stars. Don't forget to swing by the Trek Talking table to see Uncle Jim and Eric. We'd love to meet you. Engage. And we're back, guys. Um, I will be appearing at Fandom Fest at Proctor's Theater in Schenectady, New York. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and we had Mike on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is our first show, and I'm really looking forward to see, you know, how it goes together, and perhaps next year, we'll do a live broadcast from that show. Trek Conderoga, which is next weekend, Eric and I are going to be there as well. We'll be in the gymnasium. We'll have our Trek talking table set up. We're going to be doing a couple of panels at that convention. I'll be doing one on Klingons, and Eric is going to be doing one. What are you going to be doing yours on, Eric? I'm going to be doing mine on Star Trek Admirals. It should be pretty interesting. Yeah, are there some evil ones on that list? Well, and that is the question we are going to be asking. Why are so many Star Trek Admirals evil? Does absolute power corrupt absolutely? A very interesting philosophical question. I hope you will join us at Trek Conderoga especially for my panel, because we're going to get a little bit philosophical here. It's going to be fun. Yeah, and we're going to do our panels like a live podcast. We can't do a podcast from there because there's absolutely no Wi-Fi up there in the mountains. So we're going to do our panels like a podcast, and we're going to encourage you guys to be part of it and join the conversation with us as I talk about Klingons and Eric talks about Admirals. So if you guys are in the area and you haven't seen the set tour, uh, please stop by. We're going to have Trek Talking t-shirts and coffee mugs at our table. And you don't want to miss out on that. It'll be a lot of fun. So anyways, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Let your fingers do the walking and give us a call. We'll get you on the air. We're going to be talking about Strange New Worlds shortly. But first, we have to do our Star Trek birthday. Um, and we do have a caller on the line. If I can get this thing. If I can get this thing. To work. Let me see. Sometimes it's very touchy. Good evening. Thank you for calling Truck Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? They're running. Hello? They're running. 
Um, total of 34 directing credits. So that is nothing to scoff at, you guys. So Lillian Chauvin would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to Ron Gans, who was, of course, the voice of Armus, the slime monster <laughs> uh, in TNG's Skin of Evil. What a rotten way for Tashiar to have to go down. But uh, Ron Gans has a fantastic voice, and he's actually a, a voice actor who has several credits. Um, he was also in the uh, second season episode, Shades of Grey. Um, he's also known as voicing Eeyore in Welcome to Pooh Corner. Uh, and also, uh, he was on Dumbo Circus on the Disney Channel. But most importantly, in terms of my connections, he was also the voice of Dragstrip in the 1980s animated series Transformers. Dragstrip, of course, uh. being the right arm of Menasaur, the first of all the combiners. So Ron, Ron Gans, great voice. Um, you guys Eric, don't have any connections. Nice. It was nice Eric, you to see that we had Armus come back. <laughs> yeah, totally. Are you totally. telling me that yeah. the voice of Armus is yeah. also the the voice of Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh? Is that what I'm hearing? I'm telling you that he's at least one Winnie the Pooh, that it, or at least one Eeyore. Uh, wow, in, uh, my mind is now blown. I am yep. blown. It's more than Welcome, to Pooh. Welcome uh, to Pooh Corner. He was Eeyore. Wow. Yep. So uh, if you like that public Citizens series, forever corrupted. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you can imagine it, right? Like you can hear his voice in your mind's eye. Oh, totally. You can hear yeah. him talking in a deep voice. Not going to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Ron Gans, guys, would have had a birthday this week. Thank you so much for your contributions to both the Star Trek world and all the other franchises you crossed over. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Jeff Corey who, of course, played Places in TOS's episode, The Cloudminders. Now, this guy, um, over 200 film and television appearances that spanned 61 years. Um, you know, he actually, it, he goes way back into the 1950s. He was actually in the 1951 film Superman and the Mole Men, uh, <laughs> one of the very, very first, like, actual Superman movies that existed uh, way back in the day. But interestingly enough, uh, he was actually blacklisted also in 1951 for refusing to name names as part of the whole communist hunt that was going on in the country at that time. So uh, this guy, classy dude, lots and lots of... Uh, tons you know, of Westerns, man. Every, tons tons of, like, of Westerns. Guys, just go to his IMDb. It's like, it's so Butch deep. Cassidy, True Grit. He was so in Beneath deep. the Planet of the Apes. What a guy. And yeah. uh, and such character, like you mentioned, too. And ethics. And that's, yeah, the, exactly. The fact that he was involved in that whole hunt for communists is just a very interesting part of his career. So happy birthday, Jeff Corey. Uh, we do miss you very much. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Laurel Goodwin, who was one of our many uh, excellent yeomen. This was yeoman Jam Colt. I love yeoman Colt. Uh, back from the original, original uh, episode, The Cage. Um, Laurel Goodwin uh, was an actress, not in a ton of stuff, but her acting break did come back in the 1962 Elvis Presley movie, Girls, Girls, Girls. Um, and she only was on the acting scene for about 10 years or so. She actually abandoned acting in 1971. Um, and it wasn't until much, much later in 2005 that she actually attended her first Trek convention. So 
thank you, Laurel, uh, for eventually kind of reintegrating yourself with the Star Trek family, because I do think Yeoman Colt is a uh, memorable character that, uh, you know, Star Trek fans, I'm sure, were looking to meet uh, at conventions whenever possible. So you would have had a birthday this week. Thank you so much for your Star Trek contribution as well. to Charles Cooper. And now Charles Cooper, Jim, I'm honestly surprised you let me have this one because he played not one, but two. What, Jim? Two what? He was the Klingon (laughs) of all Klingons. This guy. He played two Klingons. Oh my gosh. He played two two Klingons. Klingons. And the thing thing is, is he played two great Klingons, not only... uh, from the TNG era, but he was also crossing over to the TOS era in Jim's favorite movie. So Charles Cooper, of course, was known as General Cord in Star Trek V and also became later known as Kempak, uh, who is just an awesome character in TNG's episode Sins of the Father and Reunion. Um, those come Great uh, from... Yeah, those come from the third and fourth seasons, so he spans over at least two seasons of TNG. Classic uh, Klingon. Classic. Classic Klingon, and he looks so Kempek. good in the Klingon makeup. Like, I just, I don't know, this guy, I think I think he did such a great job in both these roles. But what's interesting is he has almost no television or film uh, acting credits. All of his other acting credits come in the world of the stage. So Charles wow. Cooper... Um, just did a great job in that makeup and, and two great characters playing General Cord and Kempak. Uh, and I got to tell birthday. you, back in the 90s when I was running Star Trek conventions, I had the opportunity and I'd say, who do I want to meet? As you said, Star Trek V, I love Star Trek V. So I said, how about General Cord from Star Trek V? He's never done a convention. It would be his first. I reached out to him. He didn't even ha- – normally you go to the Screen Actors Guild. Um, he, didn't even, he didn't even have a Screen Actors Guild representation because he wasn't acting at, in, in you know, movies and TV. So um, I ended up tracking down and calling him at home and, and saying, hey, you know, I'm doing a Star Trek convention, and, you know, you play General Court at Star Trek V, and I'd love to have you at my convention. And he – couldn't believe that people would want to come and see him when he was under all this makeup and he couldn't <laughs> he didn't understand it. And cool. so he shows up at the convention, brings his whole family with him. And uh, he had so much fun signing autographs and talking with fans. And he was totally beside himself at how many people actually wanted to come and see him when he was in all that makeup. He was a great guy and uh, a great guest at, at the convention. So, yeah, I just had to share that story with you guys. He was really awesome. That's awesome, Jim. That's so totally awesome. Sounds like an awesome guy. Uh, I wish I would have been able to meet him. So happy birthday, Charles Cooper. And our very last remembrance goes out to a woman who is sometimes called the mother of Star Trek. Uh, her birthday would have been last Saturday uh, on August 6th. And we are, of course, talking about uh, someone who, if you're in the know about Star Trek, you understand the connections. But if you're kind of new to Star Trek, you may not even know that there's an, a connection. Lucille Ball, the mother of Star Trek, would have had a birthday this week. 
And uh, the thing is, is that uh, I don't know if you all know this or not, but Desilu Studios was actually the very first kind of official owner of the Star Trek property. Um, They bought Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek Is pitch in April of 1964. And, of course, Lucille Ball, as the owner of the company, became, in effect, the very first individual legal and commercial owner of what was yet to become the Star Trek franchise. Um, This meant that, you know, Gene Roddenberry... You know, once he signed that contract, uh, he sort of lost all rights and title to his creation, except for being credited by, you know, created by, uh, credited as being created by uh, in the end. And so even right from the beginning, I think we all know the, the Desilu kind of like saved Star Trek stories, but even right from the beginning, way back in 1964, there was involvement uh, from her studio um, and of course, you know, co-owned by Desi Arnaz, but I, uh, a lot of input from both of them, uh, depending on which biographies you read and which movies you see. <laughs> Effectively, Lucille Ball is a essential component of our Star Trek universe. And I just love that fact, knowing that I had no clue when I was a kid that the 16 millimeter TOS episodes that I was no, watching I- at the public library had any connection with the black and white episodes of I Love Lucy that I was watching in reruns at like 4.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) So that to me is just a really special connection. I love it. I love, I I, I feel like she's a person who I would have loved to have met. Um, Just her energy and everything that comes out in the screen is amazing to me. So um, I don't know. Do you guys want to say anything else about Lucille Ball here? I can well, re- I actually uh, remember Lucille Ball probably close to the same time was watching Star Trek. Is watching her on TV because her series was heavily run in reruns. Also, it was so I funny. love Lucy. That was so common reruns when I was growing up as a kid, and just the interactions that she and her she and um, the two of them had on the show and all the things going on. Desi Arnaz, yep. I have respect for her before she even, we even found out she was the one that got Star Trek going. Uh, I mean, one of the classic comedians of all time. I mean, without fail. I mean, from that era, you know, uh, I know a lot of our listeners are probably younger, right, from the more digital age, did not grow up with, like, reruns on, like, you know, regular TV. But if you've never watched these old comedians, right, like the Lucille Ball era, throw it down on, like, Amazon Prime or wherever you can rent them at and just watch some of these. The, The comedy... Uh, for me, there's always going to be two. There's Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett, and yeah. probably were never two funnier, you know, classic <laughs> comedians that you will ever Both find on comedians. this planet. Both yep. just great. I mean, one oh. one facial expression just kills it. They're yeah. geniuses, oh. geniuses. Paul, I'll add one more woman to your list. Gracie Allen. Yeah, I think she's absolutely worthy as well. Not, not as well known, right? Not, she's more from she the radio era, right? Man. She was such a straight man, but the line she threw out, and you just couldn't believe she would say that. 
incredible actress. Yeah, it's it, uh, the 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 comedians are great, man. So, uh, but we owe uh, all as fans owe uh, Lucille Ball a, a great debt because she she was willing to take a bet and said, you know what, um, all you guys, uh, I'm I want to put my money on this thing, and guess what, I've got the money, and she's got the influence, and she had Ricky's ear, so you know Desi's ear. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, yeah, like, Ricky, yeah. She carried a lot <laughs> of uh, a lot of influence, and there we you know because she believed in Gene's idea of a wagon train to the stars, if not for her belief and open-mindedness, we might not be where we are today. So I think uh, Eric's really, uh, it's great that you're spending some time to to really uh, acknowledge the influence she had on, uh, on, you know, not just Star Trek, but science fiction in general. I'll, I'll I'll put one image in all your faces and you'll all smile. Lucille Ball in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, what's really kind of funny about this whole thing, I mean, I think she is revered for a reason, uh, because, honestly, here we are 55-plus years later. We're still talking about it. Uh, but in the very, very beginning, um, if you can believe it, she actually kind of misunderstood the whole premise for the show um, when she bought the the rights to it. Um, she was actually originally under the impression that she had bought a show that dealt with um, with Hollywood stars traveling the South Seas for the USO visiting like fighting troops in the Pacific. So she didn't know when they first bought the rights to the show that it was quote, you know, science fiction, I guess. Um, that wasn't part of the definition because the, the, the way that it was described to her was in this other context. And, and that just goes to show to me, um, that science fiction, I think the best science fiction always talks, I'm going to go on a slight, a tiny, tiny tangent, but it won't last long. <laughs> the best science fiction always talks about today, right? And it always brings in the elements of what's going on today, and it processes those, and it asks questions about those, and all that kind of stuff. And here Lucille Ball um, was, you know, back in the mid-60s, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the world in the mid-60s. And, uh, you know, she buys this thing, and it doesn't really matter uh, whether it's science fiction or not, it's covering the topics of today, and she recognizes that and 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 gloms onto it, and of course propels us into the future. Thank you, Lucille. <laughs> we seriously owe you a big, big debt because podcasts like this might not actually exist without your contributions. So happy birthday to Lucille Ball. Uh, and that, you guys, is the very last of our remembrances this week. We spent a little time on that, but I think she warrants it. So, Charles, why don't we start the party for the folks who are still with us? Hey. Let's start off with Clayton Ronner, who played Admiral Mark Jamison, TNG's Too Short a Season. There's another one for your list, Eric. And yeah, I thought it interesting. He he got in. He got a chance. The first time he ever acted was in a movie. But I love the first TV show he got in. He got <laughs> in a small part in a TV show called T.J. Hooker, 
Ooh. I'm not sure how we tied that into Star Trek, but oh, very I easily, very easily. Very easily. <laughs> And then we got one of our favorite young reporters from DS9, our own Jake Sisko, played by Ciroc Lofton. I thought interesting, even though we're used to seeing him on Seventh Rule, he does a little bit of acting. I love the fact that the first movie he ever popped in was Beethoven. <laughs> it's a cute movie. Super cute movie. Yeah. John Glover played Verdad in DS9's Invasive Procedures. Now, I looked up his IMDb, and I thought this was an interesting quote. Frequently plays sinister villains, a graveled, throaty voice. He also got to play the Riddler on Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. General Veers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's 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 been in a few different things. Like he, he's got a face and a voice that you would recognize. Last um, Crusade. Last Crusade. He was in Last Crusade. He was in like the the Shazam movie, which my daughter <laughs> absolutely loved. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, he's been cool, yeah. man. Cool. What a, what a long list, list of stuff that guy's got. A lot, a lot of listening, but I thought those quotes about him being that a sinister villain was fun. Luis Sorel played Reina Kempek in TOS's Requiem of Methuselah. Happy 82nd birthday, Luis. <clears throat> Mike Okuda. Yeah! Yeah! Woo! The man. Star Trek 6, TNG, DS9, Voyager. He ran as art super, he ran in between art supervisor and graphic consultant. Living legend. All those series and movies. Living legend Mike Okuda. Probably done more to influence the look of Star Trek and the fealty to science than any other person involved with the franchise, full stop. Yeah, and that technical manual that he helped develop like back in the day, that literally just sent my mind into a whole other realm when it came to Star Trek and it gave me a real connection to science. Like this if you haven't seen the next generation technical manual, it's amazing you guys because it does things like uh, explains how warp drive works and explains how a transporter works. And we're not talking about like they, they did their best. Michael Okuda at the helm did their best to actually make it as real as possible. Right. We all know that right now we can't transport matter, although maybe we can transport photons of light. Look that up. Um, but uh, we know we can't transport matter quite yet. So Michael Okuda explained to us in these technical manuals how it might be possible. And to me, that just opened my mind to science fiction and really made me, if I wasn't already in love with Jean-Luc, I was in love with the technical manual. And he created the Okudagram, which was used on Deep Space Nine, Voyager, TNG, all through right up until the new shows. Which, yep. if you guys don't know what an Akutagram is, that's the bat lit graphics that you see 
on every single starship. They're called the Kudograms, and he created them for TNG. This guy is a titan, a titan as far as I'm concerned. If there was a guy I wanted to meet, Michael Okuda would be right up there. He's the man. All right. Then I've got David Hugh Kelly, who played Sojus in Star Trek Insurrection. And actually looking at the IMDb, I will kind of comment later that one of his first real acting roles was in uh, soap operas, including Ryan's Hope. Now my aunt, my mom used to watch that. <laughs> no, I'll reference that again soon. Evan Orgoria played Elnar in Star Trek Picard. Now he doesn't have a whole lot of credits to him yet, but we might decide to change our minds and want to have to go watch Fantasy Island the movie as that was one of his first roles. And finally on my list, one of my one of my favorite characters, Catherine Hicks, played Dr. Jillian Taylor in Star Trek IV. Woohoo! And guess where she spent a bunch of her early time in in TV? Also Ryan's Hope. Also appeared in Bad News Bears, the TV series. I have to tell you, when Star Trek Four came out, I remembered her in that movie from Ryan's Hope, which my mom used to watch religiously. I remember her from Seven in Heaven. Oh, well, later on, yeah, for sure. Another great series. But I wonder um, yeah. if Catherine and Daniel worked together at all. Ooh, maybe. Well, she did work with Stephen with Stephen Collins, who played Decker in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, on Seven mm-hmm. Seven. Yeah, totally. Yep. So that guy. there's a Star Trek connection. That's, uh, also, where I know him from. Yep. Later. In fact, I believe she's shown up to one, uh, at least one, at least one Star Star Trek Las Vegas. So she has popped into conventions occasionally. So we'll move on and say, Paul, who's on your list? All kinds of folks out there, Charles, who I hope are, uh, wherever they may be on this planet or any other planet, really tearing it up this week and celebrating their birthdays. First of all, uh, felicitations and very happy birthday to actor Brett Gray. You know, who's Brett Gray? Well, you don't see Brett Gray that often because Brett Gray is the actor who voices Dahl, the main character on Star Trek Prodigy. And if you've not gotten into Prodigy yet, I got to, again, shameless plug, fantastic stuff. Uh, it does not get, uh, I think, the, uh, the, the amount of attention that it could. Um, it is just great, uh, really, really great. But Brett puts a lot of uh, uh, real heart and uh, real uh, talent into making him a likable, uh, reluctant protagonist who's sort of coming to terms with uh, responsibilities of, of adulthood and command. Great performance. I think you're going to be seeing a lot of Brett Gray, and I think more and more people are going to be discovering uh, what a great show Prodigy is. But uh, highly recommended checking it out if you haven't before, and Brett's 
absolutely the real deal. Really super, super great. So happy birthday, dude. And this next actor I really, really like. I think he was one of the most, for me, one of the bright spots of this last season of Picard. Okay. Is actor John John Briones. Okay, when we're in the totalitarian future Earth where everything has gone wrong and uh, uh, Picard is kind of a uh, horrible draconian, you know, zealot um, and you have President Hansen, a.k.a. Seven of Nine, right? John Jabrionis was her husband, <laughs> kind of, you know, mustachioed, uh, fastidious Confederation magistrates. You know, what is going on with you, dear? It seems like you're not yourself today. <laughs> it was just. It was hilarious, you know, always looking, he's just very suspicious. You knew he was going to be a bad guy who people were going to, you know, get found out by, but he was just great. Um, tremendous. You can tell, you can always tell the actors who've got a lot of theaters and uh, John, John Briones definitely does. So I'd, I, I'd love to revisit that evil totalitarian, totalitarian uh, universe. We only got a couple episodes of that. And friends on Picard, I was hoping for more. I would have loved to have gone back to his father, who plays Foji. I was wondering how they were related, yeah. No way, they're related, huh? That's great. Yep. Keeping it in the family. Wow. No, I'm a fan of this guy. He's really great, really talented. Awesome. Uh, and coming up next, also, we've got several other birthdays. So I want to make sure we squeeze in here because I've got to keep an eye on the clock. Uh, Bill Lithgow, uh, Dr. Pran Tainer in uh, Next Gen episode Inheritance. Haven't seen that one in a while. So happy birthday to you, Bill. Some Deep Space Nine cast members coming up here. Ray Butanika, who played Dios in uh, Deep Space Nine episode By Inferno's Light. And Here's somebody who spent a lot of time in the Star Trek universe here, working all mm-hmm. kinds of different roles. Uh, Leyland Orser played Guy in Deep Space Nine's Sanctuary and Lovok in the Dyes cast. Dejarin on uh, Voyager's episode Revulsion. And on Enterprise, uh, Loomis in Carpenter Street. So, gosh, you got Deep Space Nine, you got Voyager, and you got Enterprise on your CV there, Leyland. You are a extremely uh, prolific uh, appearer in the Star Trek universe. So kudos to you. That's a lot of appearances, a lot of different roles in the Federation there across numerous quadrants. So congratulations and happy birthday. Happy birthday also to Richard Casino, played Dr. Garen in Next Gen's famous episode, Deja Q. Uh, Don Most, played Dr. Caden, in Voyager's Workforce, Parts 1 and 2. And this next actor, gosh, kind of obscure. I feel like I've heard of him somewhere. Put my finger on it, but maybe something, something that, help me out. Something that starts with a T-H-O-R. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. Does anyone know Chris Hemsworth? Oh, yeah, Chris Hemsworth. I know. He's that kind of sickly young man who doesn't seem like he gets outside <laughs> much or probably not a guy you want to ask to help you move, right? Because he's just not very robust. Weakling, or, you know, weakling. he probably, you know, I think he played the... Played the before uh, in Captain America, right? Isn't that it? Before the serum was injected to him, isn't that it? Right? I think he was Darth Vader, wasn't he? Darth Vader. He was a very, he was a very thin man, young so man. I, I wish he would so eat weak. a sandwich, Chris. Really, for the rest of us. Just do something. By just maybe just a tad, but it's always fun to remember that galactic superstar of the cosmos that Thor's Chris Hemsworth is. Uh, one of his first big roles that really got our attention was when he played uh, 
James Kirk's father, George, in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek 2009, uh, captain of the Kelvin, right? So a fantastic debut, really great. I mean, that movie, you know, I, I just think that uh, it's, it's a terrific piece of filmmaking. And one of the things that's great about it is how awesome those opening scenes are. They grab you by the, get your attention and grab you and hook you into the story right out of the way. And a lot of that is due to the gravitas that Chris Hemsworth brought to that. So it's super cool that you are part of the Star Trek universe, Chris. And there's been a lot of talk for some time that maybe, Come back. I know there's a script that's floating around out Come there. Back. They, talked, they talked about revisiting that and doing a little time travel where maybe father and son would be reunited together oh, for an adventure. That'd be so sweet. Right? Where like he, uh, Jim Kirk would have to go back and spend some time with George Kirk. Dude, I have, his identity. in my mind's eye, I have this perfect like thing where the Kelvin universe ties back into the Prime universe and it all involves Chris Pine and Chris Helmsworth and it's just all perfect. I love that idea. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's uh, we spend a lot of time focusing on the Paramount Plus era these days, but I, some good stuff happened in those... Uh, those Kelvin used for films, right? I mean, it's just, I know a lot of people sometimes like to harp on them, but there's, you know, more, way more good than not in there. Yeah, and, for uh, sure. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that, that's not squander those opportunities, but the idea of a young adult Kirk going back to visit his father and have to team up anonymously, I'd love to get my mitts on that script and read it. Because to me, that sounds like classic Star Trek, right? It's like, that's like, you know, one from the animated yesteryear. Oh. When Spock oh, yeah. has to go back to, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, to me, it's the same kind of dynamic, right? Yep. Where it's super focused on character and dealing yep. with your past and to, to reconcile your future. I would love to get my hands on that script and read it. So, Chris Hemsworth, please consider returning please. to the Star Trek universe. Not that you haven't made enough money off of Thor this year. Cause, like, <laughs> <laughs> that movie was awesome, too. <laughs> it, well, I think it, it's uh, it's it's one of the most hilarious times I've had in a, so a theater this year. So um, just hilarious. So uh, I'm a big fan of Mr. Hemsworth. Uh, uh, he's done great nautical movies. He's done race car movies. He's pretty much just general showing up for work. Badass and uh, uh, just great guy. Um, uh, so happy birthday, sir. I hope we see you back in uh, Starfleet uniform sooner as opposed to later. And Jim, I know you got some special ones on your list, so I'm going to pass things over to you, brother. I've got some good ones. Uh, the first we want to start off with, it's Hammer Time. That's right. Bruce Horrick, who played Chief Engineer Hammer <laughs> in Strange New Worlds, who unfortunately got hammered a bit too soon. Oh. Um, we love him. We miss him. Um, but hopefully he's making room for somebody else to show up as Chief Engineer. Maybe with not a, in season two. Somebody with a, perhaps a Scottish accent? It could be. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but happy birthday to Bruce Horick. We also want to say happy birthday to Valerie Wildman, who played Nelva in Boys episode Message in a Bottle. That was a great episode. Um, she was one of the Romulans on the ship. Uh, one of my favorites, and I'm going to say it. I say it every time. <laughs> when she picked Orca in the face, and he was standing behind her. Just blows my mind every single time I see it. I just think that Michelle Hyo is awesome, 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 awesome. And I hope they bring her back to Star Trek. She played Captain Philippa Giorgio, who is the captain of the USS Sinjao, 
But then after she died, she came back as Emperor Giorgio uh, right up until season three, and she was incredible. So happy birthday to Michelle Yeoh. And, you know, I'm going to have to go watch her kick Lorca in the face again because that was just all of her fighting scenes on Discovery were incredible. So happy birthday to Michelle Yeoh. Uh, The next one, we'd like to say happy birthday to Melissa George, who played Vina in the Discovery episode, If Memory Serves. Uh, But horror fans might know her from 30 Days of Night, where the vampires take over uh, this Alaskan town uh, that has 30 Days of Night. So happy birthday to Melissa George. Um, Great picture, dude. (laughs) That was great. That really was. Like it. Like it a lot. Uh, Peyton List, who played Nerissa in Picard Ooh. season one, she was a bit creepy. Uh, a bit. Like, honestly, Jim, I have to tell you that uh, Peyton List right now is right up in that kind of like Kai Wen sort of like disgusting villain range for me <laughs> because she's so gross. If she was a Federation officer, she was disguised as a Federation officer. Um, yeah, she's – and Seven of Nine did she's kill dead. her. Fans are like, we didn't see her body. She's not dead. Well, Seven threw her off the top balcony of a board. Uh, she's dead. She's done. She's done. She's history. She was creepy, though. She deserved to die. She was just creepy weird. And speaking of creepy weird Romulans, we want to say happy Yay. birthday to Eric Bott. Eric Bana, who played Nero in Star Trek 2009, which we just talked about with uh, Chris Hemsworth. So we got two Star Trek 2009ers in our list. And I always save the Klingons for last. So uh, first, we want to say happy birthday to Shannon Cochran, who had several roles. The first one, she played Kalita in in TNG's Preemptive Strike and DS9's Defiance. She also played Senator Talara in Star Trek Nemesis. But the reason why I saved her for the last is because she played Lady Sorella. And Lady Sorella happened to be Martok's wife on Deep Space Nine. And she played in the episode where cordially invited. She's the one that had to indoctrinate Jadzia into the ways of the Klingon. Yeah. uh, and Jim, wow. she had that really, she had that really cool like headpiece that she wore, which to me was like, is it like takes the Klingon forehead ridges and in a really artistic and cool way, like makes a crown of that same aesthetic as a as a guy who's an architect and a and a you know I appreciate good aesthetics. I love that that thing that she wears on her head. Yeah, it's a great episode, guys. DS9, you are cordially invited. Kapla to Lady Sorella. And the last one I have on my list, we like to say happy birthday and kapla to Sean Blackmore, who played Klingon Captain Curran in Star Trek Into Darkness. He's the one that had the helmet on. He takes off the helmet, and he's got the gold piercings in his head ridge. And yeah. I like to think that those gold piercings might be like a rank. We never really find out. And he's the only one we see without a helmet oh, on. Interesting. Uh, but I'm thinking that those gold piercings, uh, because he was the captain, were his rank. I don't know that for fact, 
No, but I love I love that Jim, and I love you know I have always loved the fact that when Discovery, of course, came out and they they re kind of reimagined the Klingons, they imagined them with different adornments and that sort of stuff, and we get some Klingons that have a lot of jewelry and you know nose rings and ridge rings and that kind of stuff, and I love tying that back into the Kelvin timeline movies and the rings that those Klingons wore in their ridges because those, those like if you're going to have ridges as a biological element you're going to adorn that shit right you're going to like put some rings in it because it's going to look totally awesome when you do it and that is one of the things that I love about the Kelvin timeline movies and it's one of the things that I love about the way that Discovery reimagined the Klingons as well yeah, and, and, you know, in my mind, it makes perfect sense that the, the gold rings are tell you he's the captain. Now, of um, course. It hasn't been said anywhere. It's not in any technical no. manual, JJ, but it's just, it's just me saying what I think it meant because why else would they show it if it didn't mean anything? So, anyway. Well, most, most, you know, most victorious battles, you know, something like that, right? Like, yeah. Notch, Notch is on the bedpost to be yeah. the most fierce combatant in the tribe. Yep. Yeah, it's got to have something to do with it. But anyways, kapla. That wraps up our Star Trek birthdays, guys, and now it's time for... Yes, we have our convention calendar here, and the very first convention we are tracking is Ancient City Con. I love that name. September 16th through the 18th at the World Golf Village Renaissance St. Augustine Resort in beautiful St. Augustine, Florida. So go check out that con. We're also going to be checking out the Deep South Para Comic Con September 23rd through the 25th at the Daleville Cultural and Convention Center in Daleville, Alabama. And one of my personal favorite named conventions because, uh, well, I have personal reasons related to uh, Green Lantern Comics, Necronomicon, September 23rd through the 25th at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Tampa in Tampa, Florida. Jim. We have more conventions. What do you have to say about them? Yes, we do. I'm I'm going to try to fill in for David. Hopefully, hopefully I can squeak by. So the first one we have is SpaCon, September 23rd through the 25th at Hot Springs Convention Center in Hot Springs, Arizona. It's interesting. I wonder if it's in a spa. If that's just a clever name. I don't know. If I'm in Hot Springs, I'll have to go check out SpaCon. Uh, Jim. Isn't AR Arkansas? I don't think so. A- Arizona's AZ. Well, maybe it is. I think Hot Springs is in Arkansas. Could be. Could be. Uh, we also want to say we have Cap Clave. Cap Clave? Cap Clave? Yeah, I think it's Cap Clave. Would you guys say it's Cap Clave or Cap Clave? Yes. Could be either or. I'm saying Cap Clave because that just sounds cool. 
Yeah, it does sound cool. Is that like a Captain America thing, maybe? September 30th like a conclave, to right? A, like a gathering, like a conclave. Yeah, like a conclave, yeah. Uh, at the Hilton Washington, D.C. Rockville Hotel and Executive Meeting Center in Rockville, Maryland. And last but definitely not least, we have Super Mega Fest Comic Con. September 30th. Great convention if you guys have never been there in Westford Regency Inn and Conference Center in Westboro, Westford, Massachusetts. I, I We used to go to that before COVID. I haven't been there in years, obviously, but it was always a good convention. It was always a lot of fun. So, you know, uh, what's so funny, Jim, up. is I, I was in that convention, or I, I mean, I've been to that convention probably back in like the late 90s, between 97 and 99 sometime. You are correct. Awesome convention. It is fun. And a great venue, actually. Yes, absolutely. And Paul, what do you got for us? Oh, my friend, I'm telling you what, as you get into the second week of October, we're transitioning into fall, the leaves are beginning to come down, it's autumn, it's a great time to rub elbows with your fellow fans and get out there no matter where you may be. If you are in Rochester, Minnesota or nearby, you can go to the Mayo Civic Center, October 7th to 9th for Nerdin' Out Con 2022. I love that name because it's saying it with pride. I'm nerdin' out. Let's go together and nerd out together. <laughs> I think that's a great con name. So October 7th through 9th, Rochester, Minnesota. In Abilene, Texas, at the Abilene Public Library. So I'm thinking seating might not be so gigantic. I don't know how big the Abilene Public Library is, but you may want to get there and get in line early. October 8th for LibCon. LibCon, you sound like my kind of people, friends. So I might have to get in line there as well. Uh, Abilene, Texas, Abilene Public Library, October 8th for LibCon. And finally, in Dublin, California where everyone's super glad that fall is finally coming. At the Holiday Inn Dublin at Pleasanton, October 8th through 9th, you can attend the Mystical Minds Fall Gathering 2022. Mystical Minds. It seems like it's going to encompass everything in the realm of fantasy and science fiction, including Star Trek. I think you should probably go there and check it out for yourself. Charles, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, let's try October 14th through 16th. For Multiverse at the Western Atlantic Premier uh, Premier North Atlanta Georgia Deep South Con Oh, I wonder if that's in the South. October twenty third to twenty third at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Huntsville Hotel and Spa, Huntsville, Alabama. I guess you are hanging the south. But if you don't want to be in the south, you can go to Mile High Con the same weekend, the 21st to 23rd in October, at Denver Marriott Tech Center in Denver, Colorado. Jim, I bet we'd love to have some news. Yes, we would. We do have some news, but first, we have some very important messages, so... Don't touch that dial. Trek Talking would like to invite you and your friends to ease your way back into the Star Trek event scene by joining us August 19th through the 21st at Trek Conderoga 2022, the biggest little Star Trek event in Ticonderoga, New York. Headliners Gates McFadden, John Delancey, 
and Brent Spiner will be giving photo ops, autographs, and will be participating in celebrity guest talks. Trek Talking will also be in attendance, as Uncle Jim and Eric chair discussion panels on Klingons and Starfleet Admirals. Tour the original series set tours, play some mini-golf, or attend an award-winning Elvis tribute show. There is something for everyone at Trek Ponderoga. We hope to see you there. Engage. Don't miss Fandom Fest New York, featuring special guests, vendors, artists, esports, tabletop games, and so much more. Fandom Fest, a unique con experience at Proctor's, August 12th through 14th. And we're back, and I got to say, Eric, hell of a job on the uh, commercial spots. Primo. Thanks, bud. Primo. All right, guys, it's time for Star Trek. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. All right, guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. And if you'd like to join our conversation, please give us a call. We'll get you on the air. We'll be live here for about another hour. So the first story we have, Star Trek Picard showrunner teases season three villain, which enterprise and Worf's Dominion connection. Worf's new sword. That's what I said. That's why do you think I grabbed this story? <laughs> Worf's new sword. A lot of fans were excited to see Worf's look in season three. In the teaser, Worf can be seen with a sword on his back. Terry Metalis offered a bit of behind-the-scenes detail. The sword on Worf's back is called a curleth, and it was designed by the creator of the Batleth, Dan Curry. And yes, you will see him use it in Star Trek Picard. Woo! So uh, we have a Batleth, a Matleth, and a Curleth. Interesting. Dang it, now there's three <laughs> to remember. <laughs> there's three different weapons now. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, the effing Enterprise. TNG was set on the Enterprise D and the movie's transition to the Enterprise E. Metallus seemed to point in a different direction from those two ships, saying... Shutting this down before people get their hopes up. It's not what you think. So what the F are you talking about then? Get it? What the F? Cough, cough. Okay, I'll see myself out. I think he's dropping a hint there. I think Perhaps. so, Jim, and uh, we're going to talk about that in detail a little bit later. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's an effing hint. Uh, Worf's Dominion Connection. In the teaser, Worf clearly has four pips, which would indicate the rank of a Starfleet captain. Metallus tweeted, in rank only and not what you expect. You'll just have to see. I'm just saying that's not where we meet him here. He's on another track. One related to the Dominion War. Now I've said enough. Bye. If you guys no, remember, he said, no, he said, he didn't say I've said enough. He said, I've said too much. Too much. He revealed too much. <laughs> if you remember on Deep Space Nine, Cisco uh, put a permanent mark on his record that would prevent him from ever becoming captain of a starship. That's right. So, yeah, he's a captain, but not of a starship. So we'll have to wait and see. 
And uh, yes, Commander Jordy and Commander Seven, Commodore Jordy and Commander Seven, Metallus tweeted, Seven will be a first officer, but of which ship under which captain? Interesting. Last time we saw her, she was the captain of the Stargazer, promoted by Admiral Picard. Um, Dude, if she, if she so, was on a ship where under Admiral Janeway, I would literally lose my shit. So they're yeah, they're not they're not telling us. So that's interesting. Uh, the next the villain is a new character and a familiar actors. Metellus tweeted, "It's not Stila. It's a new character, but there definitely is a nod to Tasha in the." Yeah, I never said they were a huge star. I said you've seen them many times before. And they and them is the biggest hint in the world, I think. Because uh, using using those pronouns, they and them, you know, are are we talking Captain Angel? I don't know. I don't we know, haven't but, seen that uh, character many times before, though. We've seen them once. once. It is true. true. I think they're keeping it, it neutral, but it is a character that we have seen many times before, which I have to tell you, of all the teasers that have come out over the last many years, this one has me most tintillated because... I know who I, I want it to be. I know. Okay. Oh. Oh. Do we want to talk about that? <laughs> who, yeah, we'll just who have do you to, want uh, it to be, Paul? Do you want to go there, Jim, or you want? Should we hold? Uh, hold off. Hold off. Yeah, we'll hold off. We 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 got to talk. Still. (laughs) All right, Charles, you're up next. All right, is Riker's USS Titan appearing in Star Trek: Picard season three? Jonathan Frakes' newly promoted Captain T. William Riker departs to take command of the USS Titan in Star Trek Nemesis, the final TNG movie film saw the long-standing first officer of John Luke Picard, Sir Patrick Stewart, leave the Enterprise to take his own command. Star Trek Lower Decks is the latest format to bring the USS Titan to life. During the season one finale, Luna-class starship warped into, in to save our hero ship, the USS Cerritos. However, Captain Riker will return with Titan in Season 2. With the shared episode, Kayshawn, his eyes open, saw the focus of the Titan and Riker's crew. Star Trek's biggest leader, Jonathan Frakes, took part in the audio commentary of the episode. This was for Lower Deck Season 2 DVD Blu-ray, which saw him join the showrunner Mike McMahon and Jack Quaid during the commentary for the episodes while speaking out the Titan. Frakes offered this cryptic tease. The Titan is... Frank's event continued by saying, I didn't say that. Additionally, also joked that his leaking stuff out in the past got him in big trouble with the upstairs at Paramount. Mike McMahon builds onto Frakes' DVD comment by confirming... He revealed something about another Star Trek show on a DVD commentary for another show. Many many Trekkies now think Terry had teased 
at the USS Enterprise will take the stage. However, Sir Patrick Stewart also teased, we'll be seeing more than one Enterprise in Star Trek Picard Season 3. But what about this? Is the Stargazer bridge being reused for the Titan? Think about it. William T. Riker is returning. After all, imagine him taking his old ship out for a spin. So Interesting. 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 Very. Very, very interesting. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Paul, you've got an interesting story for us, too. I sure do, Jim. Uh, this next one is a little peek ahead at the uh, the second season of a show that we've all become very fond of in recent days. Star Trek Strange New Worlds cast teases Kirk and Spock bonding and season two on steroids. Anson Mount, Captain Pike, had previously said the second season takes bigger swings and how they are exploring even more genres. When you have a new story every week and a new planet every week, you can also change the mode and the tone. And so we've been really pushing the boundaries with that in the second season and seeing how many different kinds of genres and things we can get away with. And being able to invite many different kinds of directors with many different kinds of styles, it's just been a joy. You're going to see more of the ship, and as the show progresses, we get to build more of the Enterprises. Lower Decks crossover is mostly live action. Voice actors Tawny Newsom, Beckett Mariner, and Jack Quaid, Brad Boimler, appearing as the live action versions of their characters from the animated series. We've been wondering about this. Anson Mount offered some more detail about the crossover. It's predominantly live action for everyone involved, but there are animated elements at different points. I thought it was going to be Roger Rabbit with animated characters following us around, but once they explained <laughs> it to me, yeah. saying, no, 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 I was like, oh, that's actually kind of brilliant, the way it's been done. Very intriguing. It's also clear that Lower Decks characters interact with many members of the rest of the Strange New Worlds cast and crew. Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Uvura. Tony Newsom and Jack Quaid are both incredible comedians, and they gave all of us permission to show up for work in a way that we haven't before. I didn't feel comfortable before riffing and doing my own thing, and they showed up guns blazing, and it was really awesome to work and collaborate with them. So it sounds like that crossover episode is going to have all kinds of humorous uh, moments in there where things are going to feel a little different, so a little bit more experimental, a little bit more off the chain seems to be what we're getting a hint of for uh, upcoming season two and uh, a little glimpse of a Lieutenant Kirk who is more fun. Paul Wesley talked more about how he is playing a different Kirk in season two. As he explained, anything you saw in the season one finale is strangely not applicable because it's an alternate timeline future. So when we meet Kirk again in season two, there's no memory of that. He's meeting Pike for the first time. He's a young lieutenant. He's not a captain. He doesn't have that formidable Shatner-esque quality yet. And I think that he does take some mentorship, and he has a high degree of respect for Pike, for sure. We're going to see pre-Kirk trying to figure out who he is as a lieutenant on the Farragut. Oh, a little call back to obsession there, friends. And he's going to show up in unexpected places at unexpected times. 
We're also going to see more fun with Kirk and Spock. The season showed Kirk and Spock meeting for the first time in an alternate timeline, but in season two, we're seeing them meet at an earlier point in the canon timeline, as Wesley explained. It's interesting because it's obviously such an iconic relationship, and just playing the anticipation of that without spoiling it, I think you play that out as long as possible because they have to forge that over time. Spock hijinks. We've heard that before. Peck also spoke more about how Spock explores his human side. Spock gets to really start to explore his human side, and it leads to a lot of funny hijinks. So I'm really excited about bringing that comedic element to Spock. You'll see Spock explore his human side more in a way that will ultimately affect his more immediate relationships in a fun and interesting way. We'll see that carry on, and it's definitely a part of his evolution to becoming who he is. He needs to know himself more deeply as a human in order to become the Spock that Leonard Nimoy portrays in the original series. Very interesting. Now, there was no clarity on when we can expect the new season, which has already been shot. Paramount Plus has only said it will be next year. Season one of Strange New Worlds is currently available to stream exclusively on Paramount Plus in the United States, the UK, Latin America, Australia, South Korea, and the Nordics, and airs on Bell Media's CTV sci-fi channel and streams on Crave in Canada. It will also stream exclusively on Paramount Plus in Italy, France, Germany, Switzerland, and Austria later this year. So, uh, fans of our podcast and our Facebook page, if you're in a country that has not yet had uh, Paramount Plus unveil Strange New Worlds to you yet, hold on tight. The wait is going to be worth it. I think you will feel it's been very, very well justified. And my friend Eric, what do you got going on here? I think you've got something on your front burner, friend. What else you got in the Strange New Worlds universe? Oh my gosh, we've got so much good stuff, Paul. A Strange New World Season 2 should break a Star Trek alien tradition, which I'm pretty excited about. The Gorn were, of course, reintroduced in Strange New Worlds and made an immediate impact as grave threats to the United Federation of Planets. Cleverly, Lieutenant La'an Nunian Singh's one of the rare humans who have survived being captured by the Gorn as a child. La'an's personal history and expertise with the Gorn became invaluable when Captain Christopher Pike's starship Enterprise battled the Gorn in Episode 4, Memento Mori, which we will talk about tonight. <clears throat> the Gorn debuted in the Star Trek, the original series episode, Arena, of course, and were established as a savage humanoid, uh, humanoid reptile who were nonetheless capable of speech and cunning tactics. Captain James T. Kirk, of course, at the time, played by William Shatner, faced and defeated the Gorn on Cestus III. And it was their sole canonical appearance until Star Trek Enterprise Season 4, which showed a Gorn that was reimagined with CGI, which Jim hates and I love. Star Trek Lower Decks showed a Gorn wedding, but Star Trek Strange New Worlds further reimagined the Gorn and turned the reptiles into a terrifying a cannibalistic adversary. Strange New Worlds has a perfect opportunity to address the various discrepancies with the Gorn by showing that they are not a monoculture. Strange New Worlds already made massive changes to the Gorn by showing how they can be born with other humanoids and fight for dominance after birth until there is one alpha. 
The Gorn were also established to have feeding planets where they consume aliens they abduct, yet the Gorn also have the technological acumen to build starships and the reptiles are a spacefaring race. The best way to reconcile all of this is to show that there are different types of Gorn with various skill sets and capabilities. And I, the reason where I love this article for and we, the, so that is one of the reasons that I love this this article so much is that we literally about a month ago had a, a show called The Gorn Return. You can go on our website uh, at Blogtime and go back and check out our Gorn show. And we talked about all of the various ways that the Gorn's uh, ways and methods, I guess, could be reconciled given today's canon. Um and I will tell you, I can't wait to talk about the Gorn tonight relative to Strange New Worlds. But uh, what we talked about during that show was uh, pretty interesting. And so if I were you, I would absolutely go back about a month and look at our show called The Gorn Are Back. It's Gorn-tastic. And we also, at the time, had our good friend Andy Bray on the show to talk about the Gorn. So that was a ton of fun. And, and Chekhov joined us, too. As well, Chekhov always comes when Andy shows. I don't know how Andy does it, but when he shows up, somehow Chekhov always comes. Weird. Weird. It's weird. It's so weird, man. Uh, the final story, if you guys have noticed, we're talking about Strange New World. I wonder why. So the last story I have for you guys is Strange New World is the most watched Paramount Plus Star Trek or original debut ceo says franchise is just getting started paramount plus set an set out an announcement revealing that star trek strange new world had the strongest debut ever for a star trek series setting a new record at the most watched original series in the franchise's over first 90 days the series is also off to a strong start internationally ranking as one of the top two most watched original series on Paramount Plus in the UK. The company announced Paramount Plus had grown to 43 million subscribers globally with the most signups for any U.S. subscription service during the second quarter of 2022. In a call with investors last week, Paramount Global CEO Bob Backish cited Trek among the diverse drivers for Paramount Plus. President and CEO of CBS George Cheeks offered more praise along with a hint of more to come for the franchise, saying, quote, over the past six years, Alex Kurtman and his amazing team have brilliantly created and carefully curated a new Star Trek universe for Paramount Plus with five complementary series, each different in tone, style, story, and in some cases, targeting audiences. Each series is a success in its own right, and now the franchise's newest edition, Strange New Worlds, is earning critical acclaim delivering notable performances and achievements on the service, both domestically and internationally. We look forward to the franchise's continuing journey on Paramount Plus here in the U.S. and globally, where in the case of Strange New Worlds, we're just getting started. So that's interesting because you very rarely hear Paramount Plus give any numbers on any of their shows. But the fact that they have 43 million new subscribers, that's a big... Yeah. It's a lot. That's big. That, that's huge. 
Yeah, it's funny because actually if you look at the numbers overall in the U.S. right now, Paramount Plus and Disney are the only two services that are actually adding subscribers, and all of the other ones are losing them. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, with them giving us new Star Trek every Thursday, what what better reason do you need? Yeah, it's super competitive out there right now. I mean, you know, was there any bigger hit this summer and late late spring than Stranger Things? No, Stranger Things was huge, right? It was a phenomenon. Yet Netflix, where the hosted Stranger Things, is bleeding like a dying pig. I mean, they have like just to have the biggest hit there is streaming. And not, still yeah. lose like a third of your you know, of your subscribers is a frightening indication of the state of the business right now. It's like super. So for these guys to be continuing to uh, to rack up, you know, and do this kind of numbers like you're talking about here, it, it's just a sign that you know you can I think kind of ignore a lot of the naysayers and cranky people who, who you know bray about you know woke track or whatever they want to call it because clearly there's legions and legions of fans globally who are flocking to this and want this content well that's the thing people talk about the ratings are low and it's like new they shows don't, know don't what go they're talking by about. it's subscribers and if these people are complaining about it they're watching it so well guys we're going to talk about strange new worlds season one uh, we'll touch on the highs. We'll touch on the lows. Um, and every week I ask you guys on our Facebook page to rate each episode on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. I averaged out all the scores that you guys gave us. And Strange New Worlds Season 1 got an overall fan score of what, Eric? What was our total Nine. score for season it was pretty good, Jim. Like when it comes to shows, a 9.0 is what our fans gave this show. So that was pretty impressive. Like that, that is by far uh, over and above any movie ratings, any show ratings, anything else. Uh, it just feels like Strange New Worlds is really the kind of trek that people want to watch right now. So basically um... – uh, the, the premiere episode, the pilot, Strange New Worlds, scored a 9.8 by you guys. Episode 3, Ghost of Illyria, scored a 9. Episode 4, Memento Mori, scored a 9.1. Episode 5, Spock Amok, scored a 9.4. And episode 10, A Quality of Mercy, scored a 9.7. So there you have it, you know. Half the episodes scored a 9 or higher. Are you guys? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jim, uh, according to the fans, the lowest score was the Serene Squall, which was the the pirate episode, and that was only an eight point three, so it wasn't like that low. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we only get ten episodes. That's a bummer. But yeah. with Star Trek every Thursday, you know, I, I can, you know. I can deal with yeah, that. But wouldn't I mean, you rather I mean, have fewer episodes and have higher quality? Well, right? I and mean, back is, in the day where there's like next gen, right? Okay, what are yeah. you averaging? Like about 22 episodes a season? But how many of them yeah. are classic level and really, really good? Maybe yeah, a third well, of them, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd right. rather have – I mean, ever since the, the, the onset of you know modern TV and, and the ascendance of cable, like call it the post-Sopranos era, right? I mean, most – 
network show or no shows now that are being you know successfully driven only have about 10 12 per season maybe 13 times because i think they realize if they're producing too much you're in the sausage factory zone then and it's odds are you just don't have the time to sustain the quality either on the set or in the writer's room when you're cranking out that many hours of tv per season it's just not sustainable better to just do like nine or ten and have them be golden and then the writers can really focus and then you're keeping the fans well, super hungry for what's coming. Well, I think it, I think one of the differences we have now is instead of cranking out an episode for each week, we produce 10 episodes, and then we start releasing them one at a time so that everything's got that organization and they don't have that rushed look to them like the original series, the other previous series always had. Yeah, Charles. I hear, that is a, I hear talk that is a, about. I hear talk about on the DS uh, of the, uh, the uh, Voyager podcast. Will I sit there and say, "Oh yeah, we got into post production a month later"? It's like they had problems remembering what was happening in that episode. It's like, yeah, that was three episodes ago. I don't remember that script anymore. We've already passed that script. Whereas you do everything all at once, you can do a lot more quality work. Yeah, and Charles, I kind of feel like maybe one of these days, you guys, we should do a show on that exact phenomenon because I feel like the 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 world of Twitter and the 140-character world that we live in actually contributes to that and, um, you know, makes makes the 10-episode the uh, season normalized because each one hits harder, but is you know smaller and 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 uh, doesn't take up as much time. I I'm curious, and I I think it warrants more kind of talking about just as it relates to the amount of time that we have to watch TV and the amount of time that we have to watch Star Trek and, you know, why 10 episodes has become the new norm versus 26 episodes, Um, you know, show loyalty, man, this is just a topic that I think can, can be burrowed down into very deeply if we want to. Absolutely. I I think that strange new worlds combine you know, TNG was, was very episodic uh, to, I think, flawless. And TOS was very episodic. But I think that Deep Space Nine uh, was a really good stepping stone between, you know, the serialized stuff we see on Discovery and Picard and what we see on TNG, where it was episodic, yet I, I would describe it as serialized episodic. Yeah, and Jim, Jim, you know, Jim, one of one of the things I want to talk about tonight with our last half an hour is how that relates to our main topic tonight, right? Because I feel like Strange New Worlds takes this um, this fresh perspective in that it is supposed to generally be serialized television, but come on. It's really like if you dig down into it, there is character development that goes from one episode to the next. There are things, there are consequences from one episode to the next that affect what's going on with the character. So 
it's kind of a, it's like, to me, a little bit of a fakey. It's like, hey, we're going to do episodic television. Surprise, we're actually doing serial television. But yeah, it's a hybrid. Episodic. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? it's, it's a hybrid. I, I yeah, standalone yeah. episodes, but there's a lot of good connective tissue that totally, goes from episode totally. to episode. So it's always driven. They're, they keep character and theme running yep. through there. I, you know, they're giving the writers I, a lot of control. Fans cry that they want what they want, but I don't think fans really know what they want. But personally, I would have been very disappointed, and I probably wouldn't have liked it as much if it was strictly episodic. Because, like, well, you know, one episode, Kirk, Kirk falls in love with this Indian, and, uh, you know, and then she dies. And the next episode, he's off with but Jim, and But, Jim, happens. you... you just as much as me or as much as many guys on this podcast love Discovery, which is a straight up like serial show, right? You have to watch the previous episode to know what's going on in the next episode. So that's not to say that that is a bad way to watch Star Trek. I don't think that's what the podcast is saying at all. It's just saying that Strange New Worlds was the first time in the last, you know, five or six years that we've been given the opportunity to have episodic Star Trek occurring. And the thing that I think is most important about that is that it's not happening in exactly a, you know, Star Trek, the next generation via Star Trek, the original series kind of way. Like to me, strange new worlds approaches it in a different way where, whereby, yeah, consequences actually matter between episodes and yet each adventure is its own thing. So it's a hybrid like Paul was saying. How did, how did, how did season one end the very last scene? Totally. I mean, there, that ties it up right there. Events from, you know, I want to say, uh, Episode, what is Ghosts of Valeria? Episode four, episode three, yeah, where we first, uh, you know, started to dive into Una's past, right? And, and then that resurfaced a couple times and then really became like the, the tag at the end of the episode to like carry us out, right? And I sure know how I want to see that dealt with, but, uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I, I definitely have my wish list of how that's going to get dealt with for sure. <laughs> Well, I, for me personally, I want to see Cybok come back. I'm of course stoked you do. for Cybok. I mean, come on, it's gonna happen, right? It's unquestioned that will happen in season yeah. two. He is the I gun mean, on Chekhov's mantle, dude. I mean, the yeah, fact totally. you've seen the back of his head, they are not going to not pull that trigger. That yep. would be crazy. It's, it's yep. the, the seed is in the ground, dude. You're just waiting for it to germinate. But yep. it's already been planted and watered. So I, I guarantee that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be Lawrence Lukenville, but, uh, but no. It's going to be really interesting because they have, they've set up a lot of interesting stuff about how you know Vulcans uh, – have had different, you know, uh, depths and, and different aspects of their society that we haven't really seen before as much, right? Thanks to them deepening the character of T'Pring so much. I mean, that really is fascinating. So it's just like people who may have in the past rolled their eyes at Star Trek V, right? I think they're going to give us a, a way more compelling and interesting view of Cybok that we've never seen before. I think it's going to be super interesting, given everything that they've got buttressing in place already. I, I'm super excited yeah. to see that. So I really want your wish list to come true. I think if done right, that could be fascinating. You know, I find myself wanting to see T'Pring and Spock work this all out. 
You know, Me too. I is that, Jim? I feel like I feel like there should be a whole show about like I just, how Strange New Worlds is about all of the things we already know are going to happen, and yet we're fascinated with them, right? I know. I you well, they have such lovely chemistry. You want to see their chemistry. You want to see it together. Yeah, yeah, and we know what's going to happen, but we want to see the details. We want to see the details. Yeah, I mean, Baka Mock was one of my favorite episodes of this season. So good. I mean, that's so such, good. It's, it's charming and disarming and completely, it, it should collapse and not work in a hundred different ways. But man, they acted the hell out of that together. Yep. They, they just did such great charisma. You want them to stick it out. You want them to find a way. And it's crazy. It's like a weird torture. And will they torture us? Is, are we slaves to canon and their love is doomed or, or what? I don't know. It is fascinating to see them do this, though. It really is a way to keep the audience, especially, you know, longtime fans, super engaged because we want to know and we have, we're super curious. Mm-hmm. And while we're talking about, about uh, keeping fans engaged, what do you think about Nurse Chapel? I oh, think she's, she's so good. Oh, well, and the thing about her is that she is feisty and she has just enough like the the brilliance about nurse chapel on the show is that she is not a romantic interest of spock and yet she's like romantic interest adjacent which i think as viewers keeps us interested in her because we already know that it's not going to work out between the two of them and yet the way that she plays the character is so compelling that I still want to see what she's going to do each week and the ways in which the friendship between her and Spock is actually going to develop. So I, to me, she's one of the most exciting characters because I love that season one kind of dealt with all the like baggage about nurse Chapel having a, 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 a crush on Spock, you know, which we kind of see in TOS and they, they kind of gave us a little bit more information about, okay, now we're past that. How can these two characters really interact with each other in a friendship kind of way that can benefit the Starship Enterprise? I'm so excited about that. And, and we are going to see Corby in season two, they say. We are. Is that confirmed? Do we know that? So yes, they are know. going to see, yeah, where they're going to deal with that Corby uh. thing. I was yep. just going to so, ask that because I, I, I think that would be fascinating, right? Because yep. that's a big part of her past. That's a great yeah. that's great news. I did not know that. We we will see that. And you know, for, if, while we're talking about characters, we have to talk about Ahura. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think yeah. Sila, I think Seal is doing a, an outstanding job with filling in the backstory of Ahura, and and she's she's a very uh, well fleshed out, uh, uh, highly intelligent. I am not to knock, uh, you know, Ahura on TOS, but uh, she's very, very well written in Strange New Worlds. Well, Jim, what they allow her to do is they they take her to the next level, right? TOS allowed Nichelle Nichols to develop the character to a certain level, and we have certain magical episodes that really tell us what Uhura is all about, but. I have to tell you that Strange New Worlds takes it to the next level because they, they, it, it, it's no longer novel to have a black woman as a important 
contributor to the main bridge activities of the Starship Enterprise, right? We are now in the 21st century. This is no longer novel. So the question is, how can this actress, how can this woman actually push that Uhura character forward in a world where presumably we no longer care about this kind of stuff? I mean, I, we could have a long debate about that, but like, generally speaking, it's clear that this woman has a different task than Nichelle Nichols had for pushing this character forward. And I just think she's doing a great job. The thing that I really love about her is that her tone and the way that she speaks actually to me completely mirrors the way that Nichelle Nichols would do it. And when I hear her speak, I hear Nichelle Nichols. And so the like transfer of character is very easy for me, way more easy for me than it is for, for example, uh, example, uh, Captain Kirk. Who yeah, she has a very lyrical delivery. It's very, very yeah. melodious. Yeah. Yeah. And her voice is just beautiful to listen to the tone of it and the raspiness of it is really just nice. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the things that makes her character so interesting was her fooling around, her diving into engineering and working with Hemmer. So what do you guys, what do you say about Hemmer and the demise of his character? Unfortunately, he was my favorite and that's the downfall guys. When I like a character, Uh, that's it. They're done. I thought Taylor was great. They killed her. I like Tasha Yar. They killed her. I liked Hemmer. They killed him. Kid to death. <laughs> well, I think you got to see a better part of a cadet. Yeah. A cadet's not coming in to look at one field. A cadet, unless they're assigned to a specific area, come in and cross train. Start learning about the different departments to see where you, where you want to be. I know they've taken time studying their specific area, but still gives them the chance to look around and see if they want to start spending time in another department. And you don't see that as often, but we did see that in Lower Decks. When Rutherford was trapped, was visiting different departments, where did he, where'd he want to be? And finally realized engineering where he wanted to be. But he needed to spend some time to see where he belonged. And I think it was good to see her, oh, where do I belong? Do I belong in engineering? Do I belong in security? Do I belong in communication? Because remember, she didn't spend time with just security, just engineering. She was working with security. And remember the fact that she learned all those rules that she had to know. And Lon was making sure she knew it's like, okay, you Shouldn't have been touching that with your hands. You've got to be touching it, checking it with your in, with your scanner first. So we got to see her cross train across multiple areas. Here's what I'll say, Charles. Though in episode nine, uh, which was all those who wander, she does for the first time use the term Team Hemura <laughs> when it comes to her and Hemmer and Uhura working together. It's Team Hemura which I just thought was so funny, right? Because it was the second episode that we had during the season where the two of them had time together. Uh, Hammer got to bestow some, like, knowledge on her uh, for what was going on. And in Mm -hmm. both scenarios, they were in peril, right? Like, 
things were going bad yep. in both like both at times. Uh, so I just I love that she was like Team Himura. I can't remember what she said, but uh, mm-hmm. it was just it was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, before we run out of time, we also want to talk about the doc on the Enterprise, Doctor Mbenga. What do you guys think about him? Yeah. He was briefly seen on TOS, but we don't know really much about him until Strange New Worlds. He's another legacy character. Yeah, Jim. I mean, to me, uh, Dr. Mbenga is the most awesome character that they have actually brought forth in Strange New Worlds. To me, uh, he was a guy that we see very, very briefly, like you just said. And the depth that they brought to him with his whole like story of his daughter and the way that they resolved that over the season. I mean, we've talked about it in previous podcasts. It was is really, really special. And his, um, what will I say? The way that he interacts with other characters, I think is really important. Like, I think his relationship with Chapel is very special. I think that his relationship with Spock is very special. I even think that his relationship with, with Pike is kind of special in a sort of different way. But, but certainly in Benga, and Chapel are a dynamic duo that I cannot get enough of in this series. Eric, well, you forgot talking. one relationship. That's, you forgot one relationship is really interesting. And Bega and Una. Oh, good call. Yeah. Those two have got interesting interactions with those two. Totally. So let's talk about Una. What do you guys think about Una? Um, Una. I, I, okay. I think that she's a... a I don't Una Una was never really uh fleshed out in TOS at all. She, she was, was only not. in the cage. Well, she and was only in the cage, she, right? Yeah. yeah, she was only in the cage and that was it and she was gone. Well, you know the origin of the so, character, right? Tell us Paul. Well, yeah, she Yeah. Everything I've read is basically uh the you know, they they wanted her to be sort of like the cold, glacial, logical person. Right. Yeah. And then everybody involved in, you know, the behind the scenes, you know, executive level was we cannot have a female character that has that big of a part. There's just no way. And they said, sorry, you're out and we're going to make the logical one be the Vulcan. And so they took all of those sort of colder logical things and they pushed that over onto Spock and made that more part of his character. And they said, well, we got a sideline. We can't have. It was still a very misogynistic land. It was a super early '60s. That's what I've read. Yep. Actually, I've heard a slightly different story. It was that they wanted to get rid of Number One and Spock. They pushed to keep Spock, but part of the reason they did not want Una in there was not only the fact she was female. Because she was Major Roddenberry, she was Major Barrett, which was too close to Jean. Their relationship, they were too close, and they did not want her having a major part in the series at that time. And that's the reason mm-hmm. she was then was not added to the new series because she was too close to Jean. That's so interesting, Charles. And, you know, the nice thing that Strange New World does is, of course, it adds to the, the canon of, of her um, with Episode 3, 
uh, in particular, Ghost of Illyria, and we learn a little bit more about what Illyrians are actually about, because in case you haven't been following, you know, what happens on the internet or beta canon or that kind of stuff, you may not know that much about Illyrians. Or the books. Uh, what's that? Or the books. Or the books, yeah. You showed yeah, up at yeah. a book. Yeah, no, good good call, Charles. Uh, Illyrians yeah. have been kind of described a lot in beta canon, but there's not a lot of stuff in the original series or any of the, you know, more recent iterations that actually describes this. So to me, yep. to have um, her canon kind of described a little bit more in the series is really cool, although I will say that Ghost of Illyria, to me, is actually one of the weaker episodes. It's in when I look at my overall scores, it's my third weakest episode uh, of Strange New Worlds. So let's talk a little bit about the new characters. Let's talk out. Let's start off with Ortegas. What do you think about Ortegas? I, I personally, I like her. I like her. <laughs> She's <a lot>. the best. <laughs> you know, especially in the final episode. Uh, you know, the quality of Mercy. I thought she was, she kind of took over the mantle of um, what's his face from that episode? Styles. Yeah. The eyes yeah, no, there. We need to hunt literally, literally the best. And, you know, one thing I was uh, noticing as I was rewatching the season was we all thought that he called her Erica throughout the entire season. But in fact, throughout the first half or so of the season he actually called her Ms. Ortegas and then only till later um, started referring to her as Erica and honestly guys this is the character I am the most interested in for season two because if you rewatch season one there are at least two to three pretty solid references to her and some kind of Vulcan connection. Like, she, she definitely knows what a Lerpa is. I'm pretty sure she's fought with a Lerpa before. And I'm pretty sure she's gotten injured by fighting with a Lerpa before, which means to me, there's some kind of relationship connection that we get to see about Ortegas in season mm. two, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, I like her. I like her a lot. I think she's a great Yeah, terrific addition. actor. Terrific actor. Yep. And she's not afraid to tell people off on social media either, which I really respect her. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, that yeah. just makes me like her more because it's yeah. like she yeah. does not suffer trolls. She shuts them nope. down, which is great. She shuts them right down. So I want I to throw a question out. I want to throw a question out to Eric because Eric kind of is monitoring his scores. Eric, what was your final score for the season? For my entire for the entire season, it was eight point yep. two five. Interesting. I was a little yeah. close to the fans. I had an 8.9. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we sh- we'll see where Jim wants to go here, but I feel like we can we can talk about individual episodes yeah. if we have time. Well, the, yeah. the last character I wanted to talk about was the, the last new character, and uh, that's Laan. And mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you guys think about Laan, Nooney, and Singh? Laan uh, mystery. Oh, yeah, no, very mysterious. <laughs> so mysterious, but but yet uh, in some ways a little bit transparent. Like uh, so, there's the whole Gorn connection thing, and yet we have no idea anything about her connection to Khan, right? 
uh, like the last name yep. was not addressed at all in season one, except for the fact that when she was a kid, she was teased um, for being, you know, the, the, the descendant of an augment. Um, and they do deal with that just a little bit, but, but we don't really know what repercussions that origin has, but we do know that La'an ends up somewhere uh, a little bit different at the end of the season, right, Jim? Yeah, she she takes off uh, Ripley style with Newt. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Go <fuck. laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> Good comparison. It's a very, uh, Let's know, hope Newt. she doesn't end up in Alien 3. You know? Oh, my God, but, with a yeah. cat, yeah. <laughs> she took to find Newt's family. Yeah. Which, but I'll tell you uh, what, though. She's a terrific actor. I mean, she's really outstanding. I mean, she just sells it. I mean, it's just I like having uh, – you know, you've got all these different characters with different facets, but what I like about her is she's just, you know, she's been through bad trauma, right? And she's not shy about letting that out. She doesn't hide it, right? She, she's, she's, she goes, I've been through hell. And she's reminding people of it all the time. And it's a ferocity that helps make her an effective security officer because she's, well, she, she understands what the threats are. And she's, she wants to make sure that those threats don't come back. So she's, Paul, she's a force. And Paul, this is a mental health thing that I think that Strange New Worlds is doing a little bit better than Picard did because to me, La'an is a person who now recognizes the fact that she needs a little bit of help to deal with her PTSD from the Gorn, you know, situation. And and to me, they're just dealing with that in a, a much more responsible way in this Couldn't show. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, couldn't yeah. agree more. Much more uh, enlightened and uh, yeah. much more progressive and much more right. in tune with like uh, trauma and you know things like that. So yeah. I, I think, but I'm, I'm, you know, whatever they give her, she's going to run with it. I mean, that's the thing is just like you know, as we go through here briefly and talk about all these different characters, right? There's no weak links. None of these are none of these characters or none of these actors are ones that were like, oh yeah, they're okay. I mean, everybody's awesome. Right. I mean, every single character, every actor brings something that gets us excited about stuff. That's so unusual. They just they really cast this thing well. And one of the things I hear is is people talk about plot armor, and that's why Strange New Worlds isn't as believable. But let's take a look at that for a second. Pike, he doesn't need any plot armor. We already know where he's heading. And that's the fact They, they dealt with it and he accepted it. He's going to be in a wheelchair, flashing lights, and he's going to end up on Talos Four with Vina. So that's his fate, and that's not going to change. So there's his plot armor. Spock? Well, we already know where Spock is going to eventually end up. So he, he, he has plot armor. Chapel, we also know she's got plot armor because she ends up in Star Trek Four. so she's, she's not really going anywhere anytime too soon, right? And uh, uh, Dr. Mbenga, he's kind of in the gray zone. We see him in two episodes. But McCoy is the chief medical officer. So something can happen down the road with Mbenga. Uh, He doesn't have the plot armor that a lot of the others have. Hemmer, well, he lost all of his armor. Uh, uh. Ohura, she's got plot armor because, again, we know where she ends up, but Ortegas does not have any plot armor. 
and neither does Thun, uh, and neither does Una. Because they all, Una disappears. We never see her again. So it's not like every character on the show is protected and not in danger. Right, Jim, but it's a fair question, I think, anytime. And I think the same question came up when Discovery came out, right? Because we all said, oh, it's a prequel. We already know what eventually happens. Why would we want to watch this show? You know, every, these people have plot armor. These people don't. But um, I, I don't know. I feel like this is a new phenomenon that, that is happening here. It's happening in the Star Wars universe with uh, Boba Fett. You know, you already kind of know where these characters are headed. So the question is, are you interested in the way in which they get there? And, and if you are, then I think it's a successful show. It's a successful, you know, writing campaign to, to tell the story because just because we know that Odysseus, you know, uh, makes it back at the end, (laughs) doesn't mean we don't want to hear the story of how he does it. Right. Well, we just talked about, about Spock and Supreme, and even though we know where it's heading, we still care. Those two characters right. have a chemistry that I, we want I, to see. Yeah, I actually think this show, I mean, Strange New Worlds, more than any other Star Trek show, relies on this because we all know where Pike is headed. And if you're paying attention, you, you know that eventually um, he gets the girl, so to speak. <laughs> in the cage, right? <laughs> like, like Pike, Pike, Pike eventually is going to end up in an okay place, but we are dealing with this like overshadowing doom that he, that he lives with because we care about him as a character. And because Anson Mount does a kick-ass job of actually portraying this character. And, you know, he's been doing over, doing it over a couple of different series. So I, I, I just think that there's a there's a whole like synergy between the character, the way it's written, the actor, the way that like the the plot armor applies or does not apply, the history of the character. There's a lot of layers here. Well, I also think that the fact that on Discovery season two, if memory serves, Vina reached out to, to Pike way across. I forgot where they were somewhere in the yeah. universe. Uh, she reached out to him and found him. And yeah. so so there's a connection there that we know exists. So we know where Pike is going to eventually end up. He's going to get the happy ending. He's going to get the girl. Yeah. We know where he's going to and, be. And what's cool, Jim, is that if you know the series, then you know that and you're still interested in what happens. And if you don't know the series, then you're along for the ride anyway, right? So exactly. it's, like, it's like a win-win. Right, I think it's great. It's a great, it's a great approach. I think, and it's one. I think it's that's where Enterprise made their mistake. Um, actually, is they 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 could have done things differently. Even though we knew where the show was heading, they didn't take it there. So let's take a look before mm-hmm. we run out of time, which we almost uh, pretty Jim, much. Are. You miss you miss one character with plot armor. James T. Kirk. We know James T. Kirk has plot armor, but we don't know his backstory prior to coming on the Enterprise. That's true. 
we'll find that out in season two. So our fans gave Strange New Worlds an overall rating of 9.0. And I I read down to you guys the five episodes that scored over a nine by our fans. So, uh, you know, just just quickly, Paul, what was your, of the 10 episodes that we saw in season one, what was your favorite? Uh, Number one for me was episode one, Strange New Worlds. Um, That one to me is one of the most perfect debut episodes of any Star Trek series ever. Um, it, It just like it had all the Star Trek stuff. It had all the character stuff. It had all the feels. It had everything. 10 out of 10 for me. And, and a very close second was the last episode, which, gave, which I gave a 9.95. So. Personal scores. What do you guys got? So, I, Charles, I, or Eric, I mean, so that was your favorite episode. Which one did you think was the weakest? My my personal weakest episode? Well, uh, so I had two episodes that I personally felt were the weakest, and they both have a similar theme. Um, number one was episode four, which was Memento Mori, which was the very first episode where the Gorn were kind of introduced. Um, and we do get the reveal of the Doctor's transporter kid a little bit there, but uh, I don't know. I just we could go into depth, but uh, go back and listen to the, listen to the show where we talked about that one. I thought that one was kind of weak. And then I also uh, didn't love the second Gorn episode, which was episode nine, All Those Who Wander. Uh, I gave that one a six, and the only reason that I gave that one a six was because I think there are a lot of totally awesome um character moments there but I hated all the horror stuff I do not watch Star Trek to watch aliens you guys like I love aliens I'm not gonna lie I freaking love aliens I do not watch Star Trek to watch aliens so just a little bit of a different thing there for me so my two lowest episodes were episode six and episode nine which I both gave a six or lower and how about you what do you think Paul you're 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 the best one and the worst one. I, I, I echo a lot of what um, Eric said is that the pilot and the season finale were both just so just rivet tight. They were so great. It's one of the best pilots I've seen, especially given how much anticipation there was for it. Right. And how much everyone just, you know, is quick to turn on something these days. And that pilot was so satisfying. And then there were a couple episodes in the, the back half of this season, I wasn't super high on myself, but boy, did they redeem it with that, that finale. It was just amazing. It was really poetic and just beautifully written. Um, personal favorite though, I gotta say it's, I really think it might be Spock Amok. Um, just because it surprised me so much. I did not think that a zany hijinks comedy of errors thing could work at all. I was, I was like, uh Oh, but they did such a great job. Uh, especially with those opening scenes on Vulcan. What a terrific episode and so entertaining. Um, yeah, you know, there were there were a few of them after Spock Amok where I, I don't want to go into details about, you know, uh, it just I felt the, the first half of the season was a little stronger than the second half for me. Um, like, like Eric, I don't, 
I thought it was not very creative to have chest bursting Gorons. It was just too derivative of Alien. I'm, you know, I, I could have done without that because I like originality. But overall, it, the, 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 you know, the carps are minor. This is a sensational first season of television. Anybody who loves Star Trek is going to just drink this up with a spoon. I think we're all sitting here just super excited to see what they're able to do uh, with season two. I loved it. I thought it was delightful. And I know and how I'll, I want to see season two start. I know what I want. <laughs> it's around, it's close I know what I want. Think. How about you, Charles? Well, I looked at it. My highest score actually was the season finale. The next one down was Spock Amok. And third came the season opener. So I think those really were strong episodes. Yeah. I think Jim and I will agree upon probably our weakest link, and that was Elisa Kingdom. Not my favorite episode. But really to pick up one episode was hard to do because they were, especially those top three were all great episodes. And a lot of insight and a lot of detail we got in those episodes and I think that's why they were all nine, five, and higher because they were just great episodes and great details. As Eric talks about wanting to learn a little bit about their past, I'm the one on the group, especially that's big on backstories. I love novels because I love to hear what happened before. And this is definitely a great series by giving good backstories. And backstories that aren't affecting canon. Where we definitely are having a good job of really getting an idea what these characters are without affecting their future backgrounds. So I can't wait to see what we do with season two. And and I think I agree with Charles completely. I think the the quality of Mercy um, blew me away. When I first saw it, and I, I watched that episode probably a half a dozen times, um, yeah. it's just so well-written, well-acted. The the premise, um, it's not really a time travel story per se, but yet it is. Pike just crushes the old monster maroon uniform. And the fact that they use the Klingon <laughs> time crystals, I just, I love that episode. Um, but it's, it, as good as it is, I think that, um, you know, Paul said it. There are so many that I, it, it's hard to pick the one I like the most. I, I agree with Charles. The one that I could do without is the Elysian Kingdom. Um, but all the other ones are just outstanding. I mean, the Serene Squall, when we saw Cybok at the end, oh my God, you probably heard me screaming in Portland. I mean, I was <laughs> just like, I wanted to pick up the phone and call Eric. Eric, Eric, it's Cybok, he's back. Um, I mean, I just went crazy <laughs> over that. I really did, because I love Star Trek V, and the Cybok thing got me. Um, the Spock Amok was phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, lift us up where suffering cannot reach, where they build. Oh, so good. Oh, my so God. Good. I mean, That's I, a nine. That's a nine. I can't. This season was just so strong and, and so good. I, it, it's hard. For me to just to, to pick one over the other, but but I would have to go with the with the finale, uh, quality of mercy, I think. 
for me. And overall, I'm right there with the fans. I, I would give this season a nine easily. Um, there's really no weak links for me. Uh, Elysian Kingdom is is the weakest link for me, uh, but uh, but that's not even you know, like, like it's, politics. It's just a little nitpick, I, really. I just want to like mention, uh, Jim, that I think that's so interesting that that episode, episode eight, is very polarizing. I think, uh, you know, I gave that episode a nine, and you guys probably gave it like a, I don't know, like a six or so. And I think it's just, yeah. yeah, And I think it's just uh, based on, you know, how you see television and whether or not you're interested in like kind of metaphorical references, you know, and that's not, it's not yes or no or good or bad or whatever. I think it's so to me, that's just so interesting that that became one of the most polarizing episodes. Whereas um, I would say like, um, well, um, you know, lift us where suffering cannot reach. Like I could see where people might get turned off by that episode because uh, it's it's kind of intense, man. But like to me, that is what makes it probably one of the best episodes this season, too. Yeah, I, I there's just so much there's so much good here. There's so much going on, and like Paul said, every episode builds on the one before it. We little. Little bits of the characters, you know, so, Sam Kirk so Jim, shows up. And, so Jim, uh, I think a, that's a. So can I good. ask a question? I, I, so you guys, so we have talked about episodic versus uh, serial. So would you be as interested in this show, watching it out of order? Like, let's say it was the old days of reruns, and you're seeing episode five, then you're seeing episode eight, then you're seeing episode three. I have to tell you that I actually, on the second, well, on the third run through, I actually did watch these out of order, and I did not enjoy them as much. So while I think that they are promoting that this is uh, episodic television, I actually think it's serial television, personally. I want to know what you guys think. I think it's, it is because it's absolutely serialized. I don't think you care about. I don't think you'd care about Hammer. Yeah. If you knew he was going to die. Right. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's really a hybrid. hybrid. It's really a hybrid. It's it, they take it's an an both models. And I, I, but the I nice think thing again. Is, the nice thing is with streaming. You can watch them in any order. Yeah, but it's more of a pain in the ass to watch them out of order, right? So I think, like, I honestly think the writers are banking on the fact that it is way easier for you to watch one to two and then two to three than it is for you watching them out of order, which maybe actually has been true for TNG and all the other shows for a while. I don't know. I'm just always interested in the 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 world in which we live where you can watch shows how you want to watch them and yet you're going to watch them in the order in which the machine tells you to watch them anyway. <laughs> which well, is the way it, in which they would have, were produced, right? In the world of streaming, mm-hmm. if you if you watch Lower Decks season 2 episode 1, it's going to go to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. And if you, if you turn yeah. off the TV and go and get your pizza bites and you come back, it's going <laughs> to right. off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas 
say TNG, for instance, when I go to watch TNG, I don't start with Encounter at Farpoint and watch all 700 episodes. I generally, I'll watch Reunion. I'll watch Redemption. I'll watch Mm -hmm. Festival. I'll go to a particular episode and not care about the rest of them because I'm just watching that one. Whereas you can't really do that with the new Star Trek, but there's only 10 episodes. Well, that's so, what I'm saying. Is like, is it like they've they've claimed that it's episodic in 20 years? Will people go back and watch episode eight of Strange New Worlds? I'm not sure that's true. No, it's a lie. It's not. It's the because of the way they write it. It's it it isn't. Because if you watched if you watched episode ten, all of a sudden they're arresting Una. But if you never saw the ghost of Illyria you wouldn't know why she was being arrested, what, what she did wrong or any of that. If you didn't watch that episode first, it wouldn't make any sense to you. Okay. So what you're saying, Jim, is that our, our good friends like Nate, who, you know, will maybe not like the way that Star Trek is produced in a serial way these days. Like this is just the way that Star Trek is. And, you know, even though this is their best attempt at, um, at episodic, it really is serialized because ultimately viewers are interested in things like character development, you know, people changing over time, that sort of stuff. And that stuff is, is what needs to happen for it to become a serialized type show. I don't Absolutely. know. I guess. The reason I'm bringing this up is that I just I think it's kind of funny to me that like everybody complained about shows like Discovery and said, "Oh, I really don't like how it's serialized and I have to watch the thing before." And and like they bitched about it for years, you guys. And now we're getting something that is different and yet it's essentially the same and people love it. So, I'm just like to me that is a very interesting phenomenon. Well, guys, we are out of time, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I knew this, this strange, strange New Worlds was going to do it for us, but we are out of time. So I want to take an opportunity to say thank you to my truck experts for hanging out and sharing uh, this wonderful Thursday night with me. So we'll start off with our very own Paul, the toy guy. Thank you for <laughs> hanging out and truck talking with us tonight, Paul. My pleasure, Uncle Jim. This is a great. Uh, it, this is a great talk. I was wondering how are we going to do the whole thing on Strange New Worlds because we've talked about it so much this last few weeks. But wow, we found a lot of uh, a little distance in perspective. Really made this an interesting conversation. So, uh, well, well considered and uh, really fun, fun show tonight. Thanks, friends. And of course, thank you to our very own Eric for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. Always a good time. Thank you guys so much. Love you guys. And thank you, of course, to Charles for hanging out with us and sharing your opinions. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. I always enjoy the conversations about Trek, no matter what direction we go. And I hope that David, who's listening at home, is enjoying his donuts and feeling much better tonight. And I want to let you guys know that on on Monday, we're going to be talking about one of my favorites, Klingons. And next Thursday, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks getting prepared for the new season. So check that out, if you will. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying, please, guys, be good to each other and stay safe. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. 
Night, y'all. Take care, friend. Let's see what's up there. Engage. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.